I am about to start this year's Thanksgiving episode with a soccer story, with a coaching story. Not anything to do with Thanksgiving. But hopefully, as you continue listening, you'll understand why I began with the story I'm about to tell. A few years ago, I coached a middle school soccer team that just wasn't very good. We had some talent in the midfield. We had a good striker with a lot of speed. But that was about it. I had no true defenders. And I know a lot of times... When people watch any athletic event, they want to see the offense. But without a good defense, you never get the ball to your offense to do anything. And that was my predicament. The first game we played that year, we lost 8-0. The best way to describe my defense was a sieve. And although as their coach, I am going to make the same salary win or lose and I'm really not in fear of my job because it's hard to get coaches anyhow on the middle school level. I felt bad for these boys. The next game, we did a little better. We lost six to nothing. I mean, the embarrassment when kids come up to them at school the next day. Hey, how'd you do yesterday? We lost six nothing. Hey, didn't you lose eight nothing the first game? It was a long season. In fact, we only won... A single game. And we were seated dead last in the county tournament. And the first seated team that we had to take on in the first round was undefeated. And of course, we lost that game too. The season was filled with not many wins and a lot of losses. And not just losses, a lot of embarrassing losses. As a coach, I always try to bring in stories to make my current players realize that there were other boys in the same position they have been in years ago and what they were able to achieve and not achieve. So you tell the stories of past teams. I could choose just to look at the negatives of that season, that you need to work on your defense or you're going to be embarrassed every time out, or you're not, you don't want to be that team that only wins one or even no games, do you? I could point at all the negatives that, of that season, but I don't. If you've listened to my episode on Banner Year, you'll know that just this year, in fall of 2023, my middle school soccer team won the county tournament. It was my third county championship in seven tries. So I've had many teams get to that pinnacle. Maybe not win it all the time, but trust me, you'd rather be able to say you got to the championship game and lost than saying you never got there. So if I were to place the teams I've coached over the years in terms of success with wins and losses or placements in the county tournament... The team that I've spent most of this first few minutes talking about would absolutely be near the bottom. So why don't I share the negatives with my team? Because despite their record, that team, even though they were embarrassed in many of their losses, have something good to teach every other team 
I coached from that year on. Because as a coach, I can tell you this, that even those championship teams that I led had situations, playmaking, personality conflicts that I hope all my teams can avoid. Even my championship team that won every single game wasn't perfect. Nothing is. And that team that only won one game and was ousted in the first round of the county tournament had something positive to teach every other team that I've ever coached, including the championship teams. So keep listening to find out what they can teach us and how this story relates to the celebration of Thanksgiving. Teachers, are your digital assignments getting lost in the black hole of a digital folder? Can I suggest a solution? FanSchool. FanSchool is a safe and social learning network where students own and share their learning. Think of FanSchool as a digital bulletin board for your students' work. Take a look. Go to fan.school today. That is fan.school. And imagine what your classroom space will look like on Fan School. Welcome to your parent teacher conference, where a 24 7 parent and full time teacher discusses issues and concerns from both points of view in an attempt to bridge the gap for the sake of kids. So relax. Grab a coffee or other comfort drink, and let's talk about it. Hello, and welcome to your parent-teacher conference. This is Coach Cullen, your host, and you're probably wondering, what does a soccer story have to do with Thanksgiving? Because this is the theme of the episode. Well, continue listening and find out. If you enjoy what you're hearing, I would love to expand our audience. If you like this episode in particular and you want others to listen in and comment, all you have to do is go down to that box with the arrow on it, wherever app you're listening to this on. You can text that out to a friend and say, hey, listen to this episode on Thanksgiving. This guy, coach, says some challenging thoughts, and I would like to know what you think. So you can text that out. Of course, you can always tell them to go on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, or Apple Podcasts and say, look for the Parent Teacher Conference podcast and look for the episode titled Thanking the Good. Thanking the Good. Of course, you if you have this on Facebook, you go to the Parent Teacher Conference page on Facebook. You can always share it out that way. If you're on Twitter, go to Coach Cullen 411 I always post each episode of the podcast as well. You can retweet that if you'd like. And I always love to have a conversation. If something I say in this episode challenges you in agreement or in disagreement, please feel free to reach out to me at ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. That's P is in parent, T is in teacher, C is in conference podcast 411. All one word, ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. Now, the story of that soccer team that didn't have a great record. It wasn't a success in terms of how we 
look at success, right? They did not have a good record. They won one game. They lost in the first round of the county tournament. So why do I always praise them? Why do I even bring them up to a team like I had this year that won the championship? They, more than any other team, including this championship year, including the two other championship soccer teams I coached or any of the baseball championship teams I've coached, I think they grew more within a season than any other team I coached, even though they only won one game. I have a decision to make. I can look at all the negatives, and there were negatives, and I really don't want to get into them. There were even some negatives among some of the better players. I'll, I'll, I'll say this. I think some of them were a little frustrated. Some of them, it was about them scoring goals instead of the team getting better. There was conflict, and I can discuss these in further detail if I want to. I I could focus on that. Those could be the stories I tell to my future teams and say, you want to avoid this, and look what happened. They only won one game. But that really isn't the story that I want to promote. That's not the story I want to look into, because of course we can always criticize. Like I said, I can criticize even this team that won a championship. But as time goes on, i got to be honest, even those criticisms that I would say right now will fade because of what they did accomplish, the good that has come out of it. And I, often I think we want to look for the good. And to be honest, in history education today, and in particular on this episode, talking about Thanksgiving, we always look at the negative. We always want to bring things down and tear them apart instead of saying, okay, what? okay we can learn from the bad stuff, but what good came out? And I'm sorry, there's always some good that comes out. You know, like the old Facts of Life song. You take the good, you take the bad, you take them both, and there you have the Facts of Life, right? So what good came out of this unsuccessful record-wise soccer team? They grew, like I said earlier, they grew more than any other team. You know, they started the year 8-0, 6-0, 4-0. But each game, I remember telling them, hey, you only let up a couple less goals. I could see the defense start forming. And we worked on defense every practice over and over again. And those defenders, those guys, I mean, I remember this, we had this one guy who played some rec soccer. I think he went out for the team more to hang out with me. He was, I had him in seventh grade, and now he was an eighth grader. And I think he just wanted a couple more weeks to hang out with Mr. Cullen. And he was a bigger kid. He wrestled, but he wasn't really a soccer player. But he was one of my greatest advocates on the team. He kept on pushing the guys. You know, listen to coach. He wants to make us better. And he gave it his all. It was infectious among the defense. And they could have just given up. Early on, they could have said, we're going to stink this year. Might as well not try. But they didn't. They kept fighting them, worked harder, so they would improve. And again, at the end of the year, the improvement showed one win. But in that tournament game, we were we took a lead. We had a one nothing lead in the first half. They tied it up late in the first half. And they were a better team. Again, they were undefeated. They won they wound up winning the championship. But when you see their road to the championship, we gave them the hardest game. They scored a goal early in the second half. So it was that we were down two to one. And with about ten minutes left, I pulled the goalie put a field player in his goalie, pushed everybody to their end of the field. And I knew the coach. The coach is a great guy. And you could tell he was 
he he was nervous. We dominated that last ten minutes. We just couldn't put the ball in the goal, and it and in a tribute to them, they just showed why they were the the best team in the county that year in our group. And here's my team, who in the first three games in the season averaged giving up six goals a game. And we were playing a team that basically was averaging scoring about four goals a game. We held them to two. And we put true fear in them that we could tie that game up. And if we had, it would go to PKs. And that's, in the middle school level, that's like a coin flip. That's how close they were to losing it, and they knew it. They did not want that game to go to PKs against the number eight seed. That's what made me proud of that team. I didn't look at all the negative aspects. I look about the good. And I need to be honest, a lot in history education now, especially when it comes to looking at Western civilization and the United States, No civilization is perfect. None. They have made bad choices, brutally bad choices. Choices that affected large groups of people for centuries. But what good has been accomplished as well? As a history teacher, yes, we look at the past and we say, what do we need to avoid? What traps do we need to watch out for? So we don't make the same mistakes as those in the past. But we can't be narcissistic enough to think that we, if we had only lived there, we would have stood up for what was right. That's, that's just a crock. We'd always just follow the crowd, just like every, every other human civilization. And that's my concern about the new approach to Thanksgiving. Using the Thanksgiving holiday as a way to address the mistreatment of Native Americans over the years. Rather than allowing Thanksgiving just to stand on its own, seeing the good in Thanksgiving, even seeing the good in the relationship between the pilgrims and the Wampanoag tribe. That was the tribe that helped them out, that helped them survive in Massachusetts. There is a time for that. It should be addressed in public schools, in the history curriculum, so we don't make the same mistake again. But I don't think the approach should be always and only looking at the negatives within American culture, within Western civilization itself. Now, I got a question why we never see the same thing occurring in other civilizations and other cultures. It's only in the West that we're hypercritical and see only the negative in it rather than promoting the positive. Do academics in China focus on the negative experiences that developed out of the Far East civilization with a lot of its foundation in Confucianism? Does Iran question the Middle East civilization and Islam as much as we question and criticize Christianity in the West? Do we ever stop and wonder the benefits of what Christianity gave to the Western world. And it doesn't even mean that you have to be a Christian to see that, to fairly evaluate that. Or again, do we only look at the negative impacts? You know, I always hear that history education today should be balanced and fair, seeing things from multiple angles. But really what I'm seeing a lot 
and especially in more progressive approaches to social studies education or history, is this. We do not have to explain the benefits of the predominant society or thoughts because you live it. Though there's, there is no other side. So what's presented is always the critical and at times hypercritical view. Because the assumption is, well, you live in the society as it is. Let's look at what people are saying denouncing the society. But that's not fair. That's not balanced at all. I'll give you an example. The atrocities of the transatlantic slave trade is given in every history class. I, I learned about it back in the 70s. It was wrong. And it was something in the history of Western civilization, the history of the United States, that should be taught and should be denounced. But how often do we talk about slavery in other cultures, in other times around the world, even during the time of the transatlantic slave route that didn't deal with cultures and societies and nations and people that would be considered part of Western civilization, those outside of Western civilization, the Barbary Coast Pirates, for example. And before you may be thinking to yourself, oh, what about ism? That's not where I'm going. The reason I state that is why does slavery end around the world? Who begins the big push to abolish slavery? It's the British. And yes, some of it came out of Enlightenment principles, such as the, the rights of man, that every man, re, regardless of skin color, have rights and should be free. But I'll present one other historical fact, one other historical influence that I, that you may have known that part, but did you know that it was the British who really drove home abolition? They would actually use the power of their navy, the strongest navy in the world at the time, right in the early 1800s, to stop ships that were transporting Africans to prevent them from becoming slaves in the Americas. Did you know that? And did you know that other than Enlightenment thought, the other thing that drove the British to stop slavery was the Wesleyan revivals in the 1700s? As people in Britain started to re-examine their Christianity, their faith they said they hold dear to, they would read verses such as, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ. They started seeing people with darker skin color, not as slaves, but brothers and sisters in Christ. And that drove people like William Wilberforce, a parliamentarian, to stand up and speak to the abolishment of slavery. But do you ever hear that aspect, the good or do we only focus on the bad? And, I, and from what I've read and what I'm reading now as a social studies teacher, it's a lot of bad. It's to focus on all the hypercritical stuff rather than present anything that's good, such as the worldwide abolition of slavery that absolutely came out of Western civilization in the 17, 1800s. And the story of the first Thanksgiving isn't a story about a genocidal group that wanted to enslave 
people different from them. It was a story of people of different cultures, different backgrounds, different skin tones, different beliefs coming together to cooperate together. I mean, we talk so much about tolerance. It's wrapped up in that first Thanksgiving meal. The pilgrims come over seeking religious freedom. They come over to Massachusetts. They set up a colony there. Half of them die in the first winter. They meet Squanto, who had been enslaved himself, but has returned to North America after spending years in Europe. But he could speak English and served as a translator between them and Massasoit, the sachem or chief of the Wampanoag tribe. The Wampanoag teach the pilgrims their techniques for growing crops in the Massachusetts soil. They teach them about using fish for fertilizer. Now, it seemed pretty one-sided there, right? The pilgrims are gaining all the benefits from the Wampanoag. But that isn't true. I know, for the most part, people have this view, this romanticized view of Native Americans. They were peace-loving, one with nature, and then the European colonists came to these shores and taught them the art of war. That is not true. In fact, the Wampanoag were in a battle for dominance of that area with another Native American tribe, the Narragansett. So for the Wampanoag, helping out the pilgrims had a potential benefit. And that was an alliance. So when the pilgrims proposed a treaty of peace with the Wampanoag, the Wampanoag, Massasoit, the Sachem, were, were more than willing to sign it because there was a mutual defense pact there against other Native American tribes, especially the Narragansett. And that treaty they signed lasted for 54 years. And before you say, well, it came to an end. Oh, how about King Philip's War? Remember, pilgrims are different than Puritans. That's one thing. The other thing to remember is this. Look back at history during that time. Two neighboring people groups living at peace of different cultures, different civilizations for 54 years, a half a century, is a big deal. They often clash. I, I think we take it for granted. You know, we haven't gone to war with Canada since 1812 and with Mexico since 1848. And we, we assume that's normality. It's normal for the United States. It's normal for the United States, Canada, and the United States, and Mexico. But it's not normal in the history of the world. 54 years is a long time to be at peace with your neighbors. And some of you listening might be thinking to yourself, the longest I've been at peace with the guy next door has been a few months. Something always happens to break it. And yes, the pilgrims didn't think they were doing anything unique. And it wasn't just Christianity. Other religious groups throughout history had celebrations when they believed God had blessed them with an abundant harvest. But part of that thankfulness for this harvest went to the Wampanoag. So the pilgrims invited them to celebrate by enjoying the fruits of the harvest. And before some of you say, well, I thought Christianity was against gluttonous. They're just eating away for three days. You know, there's this guy I, I like reading, a Christian teacher. His name is John Piper. He wrote a book called Desiring God. 
there's a, the old Westminster Catechism that the pilgrims probably knew. You know, catechism is to teach young people the, the faith and what they believed in different branches of Christianity. There was a question and answer that went on. So the first question in the Westminster Catechism is, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But Piper changes the end to by. So he says, to glorify God by enjoying him forever. So for the pilgrims to, en to enjoy the food, the fruits that God had blessed them with, fruits and vegetables, the venison, was praising God, enjoying what he had given them. And part of that celebration, part of that enjoyment of what God had given them was the help of the Wampanoag. So they were invited for the three days of celebration. And I know a lot of people have this really bad view of the pilgrims. They always see them painted in black, as if that's all they ever wore, was black and white. And that is not true. They had limits. They had restrictions based on their faith. And, and maybe was a lot more severe than the restrictions we place on ourselves on good and bad. That's true. But it doesn't mean they were joyless. And I think that's one of the major misconceptions of pilgrims and even Puritans, that they were joyless. Yes, I'll tell you, say one. They didn't celebrate Christmas because they felt that the Christmas celebration of the time was more about getting drunk than celebrating the birth of Jesus. And they would actually turn to the Bible and say, Christmas is never told to us to be celebrated in the first place. And now we've seen the excessiveness of the partying. It's just not a good thing. There's no real, there's no biblical basis for it. We don't celebrate Christmas. And all of a sudden they get labeled, they're joyless in everything. They probably weren't joyless at this harvest festival with the Wampanoag. I mean, let's be honest. The Wampanoag, who were not Christian, if they were getting bored, if there's a bunch of people just sitting there solemnly for three days, you think the Wampanoag were staying for three days? I don't think so. So we have this celebration of two different cultures, two different people groups, two different skin tones coming together for three days, lasting a peace for 54 years. Why don't we talk about that in the classroom? We proclaim we want to embrace tolerance. What better picture of tolerance do we have than that harvest festival or first quote unquote Thanksgiving. Why isn't that promoted? Why are we always using it to be hypercritical of everything, questioning everything and seeing it all as bad in American history? And to talk about Thanksgiving and its positives is not saying you ignore teaching about the effects of colonization on Native Americans. That's just a straw man argument. But let's talk about Thanksgiving in the present. We're, we're saying that we should focus on the good that was taught to us, the idea of being tolerant, understanding that people aren't going to have the same beliefs, that people aren't going to see the world the same way, just like the pilgrims and the Wampanoag. But what can you do 
to come together to find out what you do agree upon. And I'm going to be honest. I think the heart of thankfulness is one of those things that can better repair relationships, that can help us to work together in a society that embraces freedom of religion, freedom of belief. The Wampanoag and the Pilgrims both were thankful for one another. One side gave the other better techniques to grow food in this new land. The other provided a sense of security from their enemies. They were thankful for each other. Yeah, there were some negative aspects and things weren't perfect. But they realized there were occasions they could come together and unite. And they were thankful for that. And this Thanksgiving, what are you focusing upon? All the negatives or the good? And are you thankful for those good things? Now, some people have asked me, why do I maintain my faith in Christianity? And again, I'm not trying to be preachy here. But for me, one of the big things is it never promises a perfect world. In fact, Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trials, but take heart, I have overcome the world. It doesn't preach a Pollyanna-ish existence after you come to faith. I recognize that all things, no matter how hard I try, there will never be perfection. As I've often said on this show, on this podcast, we're all limited. We're limited, I mean, simplicity, we're limited in our time and our space just to start. We're limited in resources, limited in knowledge. We can't make perfection out of things that are limited, out of imperfect things. But what I can do, I do have some control, though. And my control is, what is my focus going to be on? And I'm not saying you ignore negatives. I am saying you're thankful You make sure you're thankful for the good and you try to always see it because it's there. The world isn't only dark and gloomy. Who wants to live life always looking at the doom and gloom? We need celebrations like Thanksgiving to remind us of that. You know, what am I thankful for? You know what? I'm thankful for a set of parents who wanted me to always be at my best who they weren't rich i've always said my father was a factory worker we were not a wealthy family and i never realized that until i got on my own because it always seemed i had what i needed i always had food on my plate i always had a place to live when i needed truly needed something they found a way to get it Sometimes it meant sacrificing. I realized my family vacations to my great uncle's farm in Vermont. For me as a kid was a great adventure. He lived on 300 acres, most of it wooded. But as an adult, I realized, wow, that saved a lot of money in hotel bills. The fact that we lived in this little cabin he had built in the woods as a guest house. He actually had a bigger house, the farmhouse, up on, up near the road, but he had built this little cabin in the woods. It was a grand adventure for a kid who was like 10, 11, 12 years old. But why? Why did we go to Vermont? We didn't pay as much for food. We didn't pay for lodging. 
But you know what the greatest gift my parents gave me that I can be thankful for? The gift of saying no, the gift of setting limits. We believe the risk of you doing that is too great. We don't want to see harm come to you. We think you're jeopardizing your future if you do that. I teach that to my own kids. I teach that to my students. You know, I always say there's a natural pull in your teenage years as you're starting to develop who you are, who you're going to be as an adult. The problem is you're still a teenager. And your parents aren't doing to be killjoys. I think when you're young, you think that. Oh, they just don't want me having fun. I thought that. But again, as you come out the other side as an adult, you realize the reason they were saying no is out of their unbelievable love for you. And I got to be honest, the adults age-wise who look back at that time or even say to kids today that the parents are chains on them for expressing who they want to be, they may be adult age-wise, but they're immature. They're still living as a group of teenagers. They've never grown out of that role of development in their lives. Because the reality is, if that child still makes that choice, and I made some bad choices, I refused to listen to the no. And some bad things did occur. And you know who was there for me more than anybody else it wasn't the people who were telling me, do it despite what your parents are saying. It was the people who said no. Even though I defied them, my parents were still there for me to love me. Great love can be expressed to a child through the word no. And I thank God for my parents that they had the courage to say it even when they knew there were other parents not saying it. It didn't sway them. This, I was their child. And they knew at the end of the day, they were going to be the ones picking up the pieces. And now as I look back and as an adult, as I look back at me having to say no to my own children, I am thankful for their example. I'm thankful for my wife. I'm thankful for my wife. I, I know a lot of times people think, if you ever met my wife and I, I talk more. And people think my wife's quiet, that she probably often acquiesces to me. That is not the case. My wife, when we're in our alone times talking, will challenge me, will tell me I'm wrong. And I'm thankful for that. And it doesn't tell me, I'm wrong because she wants to be better than me. She does it because she loves me. And I'll tell you something. When I state something, when I state an opinion, and when she turns to me and says, oh, no, I agree. I know I'm on to something. It's nice to have people in your life that are willing to tell you you're wrong. I think one of the biggest problems we have is that leaders... In the, in the school world, in the business world, we have leaders who surround themselves with yes men and women. Instead of people who will challenge them. And, and I think that is the biggest problem with stagnation and regression. 
because you keep on doing the same thing over and over again because you keep on when you keep on asking your advisor should we do this they keep on saying yes because they're afraid to challenge you or they just want to kiss your butt but be thankful for the people in your life like my wife who are willing to say no i think you're wrong there because when you say something and they say you got something there you're right it's more it'll be more authentic and genuine than somebody who keeps on just saying you're right i couldn't imagine going through life with another spouse she is the one who has the stamina to put up with me to be quite honest and i am thankful for that and i deeply love her for that and on the big things we agree on the important matters we agree like how to raise our children our two daughters who i'm over the top thankful for as many of you know my wife and i struggled with infertility for years and a friend of ours we were starting adoption a friend of ours reached out to us and said, hey, I, I think I know of a birth mother who's looking to give up her child for adoption. That became our first daughter. Second daughter came along through regular channels of adoption. I'm thankful for their birth mothers for going through their, their pregnancy only to give their child up because they believed that was what was best for our daughters. I mean, sometimes maybe you should do an episode on all my feelings of what it was like to go through life desiring children so badly and being denied. And there are times I look at the situation and I say, you know, nobody will really ever tell me my children. You have, you know, I kind of joke. I always say, you know, hey, I can my children can never say to me. Why did I have to have your eyes? Why did I have to have your nose? Why did I have to have your ears? They never can say that. But at the same time, I missed out on that. I missed out on a lot of things that my friends who've had children naturally experienced. And I can focus on that. I can focus on the negatives. Hey, my children don't look like me. They don't have the same skin color as me. We had a struggle with infertility my wife and I again my wife who I deeply love who I, I think affected her a lot more than me but it did affect me as well the fact that now as I'm getting into my 50s I watch as my friends kids are graduating college getting engaged getting married and my children I still have one in middle school you know I asked my daughters one day hey am I the oldest father of your friends now my Oldest said no. She said there is one father about a year or two older than me. My youngest said absolutely. <laughs> you know, I'm in a different age range. I'm getting, I'm heading towards retirement where a lot of my kids' friends' parents are in their prime earning years, just entering it. I can look at all the negatives, but I'm thankful I have them. They've, for the problems they've if caused me, it would have been a lot easier to be childless in terms of financially, but also headaches and frustrations, as with any parent. But I wouldn't, I would have missed out on so much joy they bring me. My kids may not be the A-plus star athlete, star of the school play types, but it doesn't mean that 
they don't bring smiles to my face because of how they treat other people. How teachers and other parents say, your daughter has been so kind to my child. I mean, the other day I was talking to my oldest daughter, sophomore, and I was kind of joking about her mom's crazy. Your mom's crazy. Your mom's crazy. Just joking. And she's and she goes, no, you're crazy. And she starts saying some things that, yeah, kind of probably am crazy. But then I just said, it kind of got calm for a second in the car. We're talking in the car about this, just her and I. And I just turned to her and I said, you know, you got to admit, you got pretty good parents. And she just looked at me and said, I do. And it was said not in a way of just saying it. It truly, with the look on her face and the way she said it, I knew she meant it. If you think about it, what is thankfulness? Thankfulness is that you realize that you are limited and you need the help of others. I said this to a group of students that I have. Every other week we do this thing called advisory. We meet with a small group of students. And we were talking about respect and thankfulness. And I just said, you know, think about it. How often do you make sure you say thankful, thank you to somebody holding the door for you? They don't have to do it. They don't even know who you are. After that exchange, you'll probably never see that person again. But you say thank you out of respect because they didn't have to do it for you. And that's what thankfulness does. It's a sign of respect. It's a sign of saying to somebody, I appreciate you. I need you. I can't do this on my own. Because that's the reality for all of us. And the other thing being thankful does is it makes you focus on the good. We talked about that first Thanksgiving. It makes us focus on the tolerant society we say we want. We're thankful for our parents for saying no. We realize there was a purpose for saying no in those times when we were growing up. It wasn't to be a killjoy. It's because they loved us so much. They didn't want to have to hug us when we were in tears because everything went wrong. They said no because they wanted better for us. So yes, I was thankful for the word no. I'm thankful for my wife who is strong enough to tell me I'm wrong because it gives me greater resolve when she tells me I'm right. And I'm thankful for my daughters. Again, I can look at all the negative aspects of being an adoptive dad, which I presented a little bit of. But I had some experiences through adoption that many of you who had your children biologically never experienced. And I'm thankful for my daughters. They instill, instill in me such great pride and joy in what they do. You know, you know what Thanksgiving's all about? It's taking a time to look through your life and you have a choice. You can look at all the negatives, all the bad things. You can see everything. You can be critical life theory, right? Go through my life and see all the ways that people have mistreated me. 
and all the bad things people delivered. You can see yourself as the victim in your story. Or you can use this Thanksgiving to look through your life and the relationships you have and start asking yourself, have I taken time to thank the people who have really helped me out? Are you going to look at the good or the bad this Thanksgiving? I would suggest in this time period that we are all talking about mental health, anxiety, and depression, that you take that day to think about all the many blessings you've had in your life. And maybe write a note, give a call, write an email out. And tell those people who need to hear it, thank you. Because that won't just help you out, but think what it will do for the person who receives it. Maybe they're struggling, looking at the critical life theory, being critical of every moment of their life and how much they've been the victim, how much they've been abused. And they're kind of blinded, just like how critical theory does to us today. We're blinded to the actual good that also occurs in life. And as I wrap up this episode, I want to thank you. Now, I always joke, I say, you know, my wife who loves me, I give her a break from listening to my points of view and, you know, as, as a form of thanks to her, right? So I kind of spew my views here. And I said, it's just a hobby and I enjoy doing it. It gives me a release of some of the ideas and thoughts that are bottled up in my mind. But I want to thank you who are listening this holiday season. Thank you for the times that some of you have reached out to me and shared what you've appreciated about an episode, asked questions, have truly interacted with this. And if you haven't, thank you for just listening. You, know, you don't have to. You don't have to spend a half hour to an hour listening to this guy from Jersey just spout off. But thank you. And I really mean that. I know I don't get a lot of listeners, but I do appreciate everyone who does. And your thanks to me are those interactions, be it through email, or if you know me personally, just stopping me or giving me a call or texting me about something I've said. It's just nice. Now, if somebody asked me, would you do it if nobody listened? Then I go, probably would. But it does encourage me to go on when I know people are listening. So, thank you. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. And I want to end with this, just to kind of reiterate the point. You know, there's not many things in our lives that we truly have full control of. But how we see the world, that's one that we do have control of. And I'm not saying that life is perfect. I said that earlier in the, the, the episode. There are going to be bad events and bad people, sadly, that you're going to have to deal with and you're going to have to overcome. But in this day of talking about mental health and anxiety and depression, I don't think it's healthy that we dwell all the time on the negative, that we dwell upon that life is miserable, 
And it's always been throughout that way throughout history. So I think it would be a real positive this Thanksgiving that you say to yourself, there's a lot of things going wrong right now. I'm going to take a day, this day, this Thanksgiving, to take a survey of my life and say, what am I thankful for? Who am I thankful for? What has been the good that has occurred? And I think you would have a better appreciation and you'll start seeing there's a lot more of the good that is happening than the bad. And then I'm going to encourage you to do one other thing. If there are people that you need to thank, over to Thanksgiving weekend, give them a call. If you see them at the dinner table, I mean, that's one of the great things about Thanksgiving. You get together with your loved ones. If they're at the dinner table, express your thanks to them. Email them. Let them know that you're thankful for them. It's going to be such a tremendous release of good feelings for you to get that out. To share that with them, it actually does. I think there are studies that show that being thankful actually has chemical reactions within you for your positive well-being. But being thankful isn't really about you, is it? It's focusing your thoughts on the person you are thankful for. And I want you to think about this. When you prepare that email, that letter, that phone call, or seeing that person face-to-face that you're going to thank, I want you to think about this. You don't know what is going on in that person's life. Expressing just a small act of expressing your thanks to them for what they mean to you may be exactly the medication they need in a difficult time. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you for joining me on the Parent Teacher Conference podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share this podcast with friends. They can be teachers, they can be parents, they can be someone who's just interested in education and parenting. If you have a comment, a question, or an idea for a future topic, please feel free to reach out to me at ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. Remember, a good teacher cares deeply for their students, but good parents love those students, their children, deeply.